0: It is another wonderful podcasting day, and this is your please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Yes, Peter. And uh, as my co-host, are you going to buy that fetching black top?
1: You're referring to the post that someone, I think it was uh, what, Matt Soul, Matt Slayer from, uh, and now we said, and now we drink. Is that his
0: podcast? Yeah. God, <laughs> Matt Slayer from and now we drink. He's got a. An incredibly interesting podcast if you have any interest in booze, porn, and some of the subcultures that come from those two things in Los Angeles. he's a been a good friend to us, actually. He's given us a lot of advice and, uh, and awareness of things about uh, podcasting here in current year. Episode
1: 37, a, he's got a lawyer who focuses almost entirely on pornography and pornography industry law. And uh, that was a really, really good listen. So if uh, anybody out there is looking for some new material, again, I believe it was episode 37 on uh, – we can throw the link up on uh, some of the social media that we've got floating around out there.
0: Absolutely. I Honestly, uh, just as you said, even if you don't have a tremendous amount of interest in porn drama, that lawyer – that conversation they had with the lawyer, it's like you learn things. like, oh, OK. Uh, so i I highly recommend giving that one a listen if if the topic at all intrigues you it's just about how esoteric concepts are handled in litigation and if that isn't a deep enough nerd move uh Matt did uh, share a a podcast co-host branded top that we shared on our vi please Facebook page and it's it's a fetching piece of of uh podcast where Peter you look good in it
1: well like I said on my uh, reply it. it Definitely looks better than the jumpsuits that the guys on Voyager are wearing, and I enjoy the fact there's a lack of a purple turtleneck. So, if we ever make our way out to, uh, you know, the big leagues and we're doing some podcasting from Dragon Con or something like that, maybe I'll, maybe I'll treat the audience to some hairy chest, tastefully yeah. revealed with the co-host outfit.
0: You know, it's a Star Trek tradition to have some some skin showing on the, on the man's side, you know, in particular, <laughs> particularly in the chest area. Those, those deep neck, you know, cuts. You know. I'll tell you what. Show was show was rebooted in the 80s, my friend. It's just – it's a holdover. I'll tell you what. You guys,
1: you audience out there, you get enough listeners – to where we can demand podcast space from DragonCon, you get us into the big leagues. Not only will I wear that co-host outfit, but I'll also find a uh, TNG first season scort
0: and I'll rock that as the bottom. <laughs> oh, oh, please, Internet, make this a reality. There needs to be photographic evidence. There's just a lot of things need to happen. That needs to happen right there. So speaking of the page. Yeah, we, we, uh, we started this week a... V'ger please discussion group also on Facebook to whom all are invited. Um, it's closed only to prevent nefarious Russian spam bots from joining, but I was, hoping uh, it was are-
1: closed because you respect the fact that, uh, we both have good jobs and don't necessarily want friends and coworkers and family seeing us debating the shittier points of star Trek vehemently with each other in a, in a public forum.
0: You know, uh, Unfortunately, my coworkers already know. How? Because I'm actually friends with some of them in, uh, outside of work. Um, so I, I let slip my secret. So I don't have nearly as much to hold back, perhaps, as you do. But it's closed. So consider that a, a safe space, if you will, for getting your nerd on the deepest cuts of the nerd, of the nerd loin. For example, I think you found a, a really intriguing map of of Federation space that yeah. someone came up with that – that seemed to really attempt to place all of the references to places in the Federation and in the Romulan Empire and in Klingon Empire in spatial relevance with each other to yeah. try and accurately portray where things are and how big things are.
1: So thanks to friend of the show, uh, Nate, for finding that one. He he was watching, um, I think it was Eye of the Needle. Is that the one? Yeah, Eye of the Feels, as we put it. the good, The best episode we've watched so far. We started talking about uh, quadrants and what that was in three-dimensional space, and he found the, the quadrant map, which was cool. I, I thought it was interesting that Federation, that Earth basically lies right on the border of the Alpha and Beta Quadrant, and the, they split it like a prime meridian there. And then he found another map that was like this big-ass map of all known – well, you know, most of the TNG stuff – Shows where, like you said, the Romulan, the Klingon stuff is, and just how big Federation space is. That was really, really fascinating sitting there and, and digging into the, the nerdy on that. It reminds me back in, jeez, middle school. So probably about the time right before uh, Voyager came out. But did you, did you ever play Warrior 2 Mercenaries? I sure as shit did. That was my favorite PC game. So there was an old service back before web 2.0 this is like back in dial-up days and there was no battle net or steam or anything like that so there was this thing called kali and you could it was like a matchmaking service for people who wanted to play games and there was this thriving MechWarrior 2 community in there and people had like this big game board and sectors would flip based on which house controlled them and it would pair who you were going to fight for the next round it was really really in-depth and it was a cool example of like ingenuity people had before you know big corporate entities were dictating how to play video games and where to play them but someone had made a big homebrew map of the universe and that map was so big that my friends 386 couldn't even load the map it was crazy but really cool stuff (laughs) really cool stuff and uh and i'm a big nerd so yeah that's up on uh the voyager page i believe and then we've also have the the voyager please trauma support group discussion group and they're,
0: they're up in there too so check them out for sure Absolutely, more the merrier, and don't worry, Peter. Uh, Mech Warrior Two Mercenaries was the very first game I ever played online, if I recall correctly. I played it through the Microsoft Zone service, mm. and it was terrible. <laughs> and I learned that people on the internet are terrible at a, at a young and tender age. Critical life skills, That's critical skill. You know. it, it, and uh, if uh, if Bob Kaiser is out there, whose uh, computer and uh, exceedingly rare uh, broadband connection was responsible for this growth that i was able to have um thank you bob thank you for creating the terrible person that haunts the internet to this day you never knew while we're on nerdy things real quick
1: too i'd like to give a big shout out to my youtube feed which is now a complete mess of almost all star trek material
0: (laughs) (laughs) From the little oh, that algorithm you you start going down rabbit holes on YouTube that Google algorithm is going to to make you pay for it
1: anything cool that I used to get shown in my YouTube feed is now completely gone with like the most dingiest grungiest grossest Star Trek ship breakdown fan theory nonsense possible like I I watched a couple of videos here and there and uh, the whole thing just completely overrun. Uh, the Borg have assimilated it.
0: I think my favorite uh, deep, 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 deep nerd shit uh, on YouTube as far as Star Trek goes is the what-if scenarios if, if the Dominion initially won their war against the Federation. Have you seen that? It's prompted me, but I'm, I'm traumatized at this
1: point where I'm afraid to click on anything because I don't know if I'll ever Get in. dig my way out of this Star Trek YouTube. You, you
0: won't. You won't. Let it embrace you like a warm – crusty blanket that needs to go to the wash but won't because of the Mountain Dew stain. Just do it. Do it, man. You're a, you're a new father. You don't understand waiting in filth. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Speaking, Speaking of waiting in of... filth, <laughs> season one, episode eight, Emanations. Oh, okay, so this is, I think, going to be a first for us because... I know I said at the end of our last episode that I expected this to be bad, and certainly my ancestral memory of the middle school slash early, uh, I guess it would have been middle school me, that remembered this episode certainly recalled it as bad. But upon the rewatch, I really fucking liked it. I really enjoyed this episode.
1: Did you by chance um, hit your head on a low-hanging shelf or perhaps slip outside in the ice and, uh, bounce your head off the parking lot gravel
0: i i did i did not i just i dug this on so many levels i thought the plot was great i thought the acting was 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 really good in places i felt like the world the subtle world building they did um as part of the plot was had a deft hand defter hand than almost anything we've seen on the show this was a hit this was a hidden and unexpected gem for me and I know you you hated it.
1: <laughs> uh, this might be one of the worst I've seen so far and I think this was a great example of one of these situations where I have to believe that the writers of Voyager wanted to write anything desperately write anything that was not science fiction. the
0: I don't know I, I could not possibly disagree more and that that you know what? Let's let's hash it out, man. Let's start in, and we'll see where we we'll, where we stand on things. And if we we w- end with the same thoughts we started with, maybe you can convince me that it wasn't as good as I thought it was. Maybe I can convince you that it's better than you thought it was. Uh, the episode rolls into its start, like you know how you have those rolling stops, you know at stop signs. You just kind of keep that's, going.
1: That's my life. I never give the three second stop. I ride dirty.
0: Yeah, this this, uh, this episode's riding dirty at the stop, too. It, it just kind of rolls into the action immediately. They say they've discovered a new element out in space somewhere, and it's incredibly dense. And we get a quick little babble exposition that they're excited about this because it can help them do all kinds of cool space magic shit. So they want to find out more about it? And they get to investigating these asteroids nearby that seem to have quite a bit of this uh, this mineral going on, and it just so happens they they all have M-class atmospheres in it conveniently. Uh, so they dispatch a, a quick uh, quick uh, posse of uh, Balana, uh, Chakotay, and this episode's featured player, boyish, a doughy Asian man, Harry Kim.
1: Yeah, you got a real scrub team going out on these. So the the asteroids, they were asteroids, planetoids, whatever, that formed rings around a planet, correct?
0: Yeah, so they're in this – in orbit of a gas giant, has got a real intense kind of ring situation going on and uh, these asteroids all are in orbit of that. Yeah.
1: Uh, so right off the bat, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes like, OK, of course these asteroids have completely sealed – Inner cave cavities that uh, you know are, are perfect for away teams to go ahead and bait in. They beam into these things and and my, my my I'm I'm perked, you know. They beam into these things, standard away team gear on this, so they're rocking tricorders of stupid ass wrist flashlights and phasers. And as I pause the episode to start writing down about how stupid it's that there's Class M atmosphere, Class M, by the way is like Earth. Earth is a class M planet. They're supposed to be kind of rare. Uh, you get a lot of uh, uh, fights between like Romulans, Klingons, and Federation over class M planets because it's the only thing that's uh, suitable for colonization. So I'm writing down how stupid it is that these things are class M, and then I see in the freeze frame I took spider webs all over the place, which I'm also like, how stupid? Why are there spiders in space? On asteroids, this is dumb. And then this is the only time I get excited and happy in this entire episode because I'm like, fuck yes, space spider dungeon. This might be cool after
0: all. <laughs> my, uh, my wife's reaction was the exact same as yours because what happens is they get down in this cavern, there's spider webs everywhere, they're pretty confused by this, and then suddenly they find a body that seems to be wrapped in spider webs, and then they find yes! a shit ton of bodies uh, that are wrapped in spider webs. And- and Stevie, my wife, she she immediately was like, oh, shit, is there going to be like a space spiders Is it Space Shelob? The fuck yes. is going to go on? This, yes. is, this Now, awesome. this might be
1: a surprise to you uh, as we sit here on our Star Trek Voyager podcast, but I love d and <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm shocked. Please go on. So when I see a cave and I see spider webs and in my back of my mind, I'm thinking space spiders. And then you see a bunch of dudes all like – spider webbed up and dead on the floor. I'm like I'm going to get my wish. Maybe Joe was wrong. Maybe this is going to be a sweet ass episode of like Space Spider Dungeon Crawl. And then I notice our away team that has phasers out at every, you know, moment possible including, you know, going in to meet with the minister of boring what would we call the old alien race? Uh that would be shitheads. The shitheads, yes. <laughs> And there they are in this fucking spider dungeon and like it doesn't dawn on anybody like, hey, maybe you should pull your, your phaser out because there might be
0: space spiders. Yeah, Those things, you know, they'll poison you for 1d4 rounds and you'll take con damage from that, man. You can't oh. you can't fuck with that. You don't want to get caught fly-footed. You need your deck save.
1: Oh, uh, do, do you like start uh, Dungeon Dragons 2, I take it? <laughs> I
0: have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> and I want to point out too, as stupid as those uh, wrist flashlights are, like now that I think about it, if, if you got your phaser in your hand – You're pointing your phaser, and you got your light in the same direction. So there's really no reason not to have the phasers out at this point. I'm just saying. So
0: continue. So they uh, they cut back after credits to this revelation that they appear to be surrounded by dead aliens, and uh, we get a little interrogative where Chakotay, you know, the Indian guy, is making a passionate case not to, you know, disturb a burial ground.
1: Uh, Chakotay proceeds to unroll his uh, now famous jump to conclusion map where they start looking at things. And not only does he say, hey, guys, leave this stuff alone, but let's go the extra stupid mile and not disrespect them by using our passive scan tricorders to, to see what's really going on here. We're just going to visually inspect things and forget about the whole point of this mission, which is to you know try and get some rare minerals. I think at this point, if, if they're not going to bother scanning these things, just get the hell out of here. The, you're not going to take any of the bodies. You're not going to really deep dive into what this rare mineral, this brand new element is inside these guys. Why waste the time?
0: Get out. I, this is where our opinions start to diverge, because as much as I am jabbing the writers in the ribs a little bit for, for being a little too on the nose with Chakotay's dialogue about not disturbing, you know, the death rituals that surround them. I actually appreciated that we have this little dialogue between Balana and Chakotay where he's explaining what you can try and glean and discern just by observation of the environment and the disposition of the bodies and, and trying to determine what's going on with this culture. And from, from an anthropological standpoint, I thought it was clever, like that they established that this before in a throwaway line of dialogue episodes ago, that this is a, an interest that Chakotay has always had. And now here he is demonstrating that that is real, that he he does have an interest in this and he's, Explaining how you can draw these conclusions without them necessarily using their technological tools. I thought it was cool. I thought it was an interesting point. Sure. But they don't spend much time on it because. Well, let me, real quick. So, you know, he's
1: got his jump to conclusion that out there. And he lays down, like you said, oh, you can casually infer this and that. Uh, look, you can tell the ritual burial because of the serenity of the figures laying there. And I'm like, whatever, dude. <laughs> you could just as soon say that, you know, these people seem peaceful because. The uh, space spiders that like bit these people and like webbed them up have like a narcotic byproduct of their bites. So if you want to start pulling stuff out of your ass, Chakotay, it goes both ways. And I would say that spider, space spider bites, causing a hallucinogenic uh, byproduct, uh, is the more fun way to go. And also get them phasers out because you still haven't disproven my theory.
0: But. <laughs> um, uh, you know, before they can get sneak attacked by a spider, they get sneak attacked by. Oh, no, there's a subspace thing. So there's all of a sudden some flashing lights. Uh, There's a subspace fissure opening up and Chakotay's like, we got to get the fuck out of Dodge. Unfortunately for them, the person that is manning the transporter is Ensign Seska. And as we will see another another time during this episode, Seska is not the best uh, transporter operator. Um, she she has some problems executing on the transporter. Now, maybe as we'll see later, purposeful problems, but uh, she attempts to get all the trio out of there before this this new you know terror in, t- in space does something bad. Uh, by simply just just uh, beaming up everything that's in proximity together, but what happens is instead of getting the the whole away team, she gets her two uh, Maquis buddies mm-hmm. and some rando dead body that just happens to be joining them joining them for the ride.
1: Mm-hmm. Fresh dead body too. Yeah, that that that's a good point too. And as you're just talking about that, I was like, did she intentionally leave one of the you know bridge officer Starfleet people behind? But
0: I mean, if Would I you, were if I were Janeway, I'd be really fucking suspicious. Like, oh, Seska, you just so happened to to fail at beaming aboard, you know, one of my loyal officers, and 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 got your two buddies. Uh, that's that's awful. That's awful. Convenient of you. Well, that kind Harry. of thought has
1: no place in Star Trek Voyager, as we've already. Yes, clearly. Said. <laughs> that's clearly that's clearly the case. Face
0: value society on this ship. Even, even for a character that literally, spoiler alert, turns turncoat like in two episodes. <laughs> Oh, really it's that soon yeah it's that it happens in, in season 1 but uh they uh they get this body uh, on board and is <laughs> apparently uh because this one accidentally came with them they're okay to science this one up because Bolana's just scanning away at it you know it's like oh, my, my wife's like is it like a dog If it follows you home can you science it like is, is that what how it happens okay you have to you have to feed this one but you can totally well, do you make a
1: pretty convincing argument you know Chakotas are like, oh, you know, respect their privacy or whatever. And they're like, look, dude, now now Harry's ass is on the line. It's time to set aside our our best intentions and, and get real about this situation.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And the uh, point is, though, that they've lost Harry Kim. He's somewhere else. They've got this body and the body's got like a sliver of life left in it. And they're like, OK, let's uh, let's get this body to the sick bay and see if we can't gonna you know, revive it or something because it's the only way we're gonna figure out what the fuck just happened
1: how good would it have been when like the subspace disruption started on that asteroid had someone scream like no i don't want to go back in time <laughs> damn it a time warp again oh, Jesus, drat so speaking of harry i don't even know how to roll out this scene man so they cut away to what I think we should assume at this point is uh, another point in time because it's season one of Voyager. So why not? And instantly. <laughs> I'm just going
0: to assume if it's unexplained, it must be a temporal block.
1: Yeah. And I'm, in the know,
0: absence of evidence, otherwise it's clearly another time conundrum.
1: Yeah. And, you know, later in the episode, they, uh, you know, Even say, hey, this is an alternate reality or universe or something. I would say, you know, a different point in time would fall right
0: within the scope of possibilities there. But I think they specifically suggest that this is another dimension. They never you never see much, but that's what they suggest, that it's another dimension. But go on. So I'm in
1: my eyes are assaulted by some of the worst costumes. I would say that these costumes are so bad. They're right up there with the candy cord tragedy. There's some sort of a priest leading a prayer around a, a poop pod that roughly <laughs> resembles prune or a poop. And uh, I can only say that I would like to call it another discount African king outfit. Uh, he might be shopping at the same place as Neelix. Maybe he was really... Um, he really got into watching Black Panther, and, and he decided to go along. But th- these costumes that these guys are wearing they look like uh, they're made out of grandma's drapes. And this guy's got a big cone head hat, and uh, they spared a lot of expenses in in dressing these aliens up.
0: I would call it discount Wakanda gear, except it it's like they actually spent money on it. Unlike the candy corn tragedy, which was really bargain basement and obvious like all right slap this shit together these guys just look like humans whatever we're gonna do this at a waste treatment plant we're gonna barely do anything to make this look like this is another place right that looks slapdash as hell they spent time energy and effort trying to make this shit look like the way they made it look it just looks bad the only thing that they spent time on is like how tall do you think we could make this
1: hat before it crumples in on itself and the answer to that was was pretty tall
0: They've got a lot of nose ridge action and tons of forehead on these aliens. And we're seeing them for the first time when there's this couple that's having this talk about the the man in, in, in this pairing. They get a lot of feel like this guy's going to die, right? He's getting ready to die. He's speaking of the next emanation. The way it's being toned about seeing people who are already dead, um, that he is clearly going through some sort of process where he is going to be killed. And and this poop pod, as you so adequately put, uh, seems to be the center of the ritual where this happens. And they are having some kind of little talk. Uh, there's family around. And then suddenly you hear banging on the inside of the poop pod. And Harry Kim is like, get me the fuck out of here. I I went out. They open it up, and they're like, "What the fuck? Who the fuck are you? What the fuck is this?"
1: How do you have clothing that looks as stupid as ours? Yeah, so that's a smash cut for the beginning of basically the first act, and look like there's a commercial break there. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, they come back to Harry Kim, who was talking to the the lead alien.
0: Yeah, they called him the chief thanatologist.
1: Thanatology, yeah. Uh,
0: which which you and I know for even deeper nerd reasons than we have suggested so far is the study of, of death and death rituals. And Harry is confused. Um, He's not quite connecting the dots yet immediately about what's happened or, or what they are assumptions they're making. But I feel like this scene was excellent because it gave you this growing sense of dread from the aliens who are listening to him talk about, oh, yeah, I was on this asteroid. There are a bunch of bodies around and then the subspace fissure opened up and I wound up here. And, you know, this is – I'm from planet Earth. I'm, you know, I'm part of the Federation. All this. He's explaining this very matter-of-factly and scientifically, whereas we have now been given a clear impression these aliens think that wherever Harry Kim came from is a mystical afterlife. And so he is just like rapid fire. OK, this is what's happened. I don't know exactly how I wound up here but this is where I was beforehand and they're like wait what do you mean you saw dead bodies in some fucking asteroid and especially the guy who's there to die is obviously panicked at this revelation that's being handed down that whoa 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 whoa. what 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 where are you what's going on this this is this is concerning me about all of my previously held notions about death and my culture
1: yeah the two big takeaways here in this scene for me is one people in gold uniforms uh give no fucks about the prime directive because harry just breaks like a million rules in one <laughs> frantic sentence it's <laughs> Doesn't really dawn on him until later on. He's like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a first contact situation and maybe I should just shut my fucking mouth. Um.
0: <laughs> it's precisely how it goes down. He doesn't realize until the fucking cat is way out the bag like, oh, no, which I think it – God bless. I thought this was going to be shit because we were going to have to spend all this time with Harry Kim. But i buy that. He's the new guy. He's confused. He just wants to go, like, I just want to get back to where I was. What the fuck? He's not thinking, like, oh, oh, wait, I'm making first contact with an alien race, possibly in another dimension, and I may also be accidentally shattering everything they know about death. Yeah,
1: um,
0: and and oops. this scene, so,
1: yeah, the, the first part is that he doesn't give two shits about Prime Directive, and two, I see the rest of the episode for exactly what it's going to be, and it's just, just thinly veiled, essentially, you know, religion bashing. And and that's kind of where I was like, this feels like lazy writing and basically we're going to sit here just throwing low punches or low blow punches at uh, at the audience on this one.
0: I, I don't agree that it was religion bashing in the slightest. If anything, it was a, a – it was particularly at the end an affirmation of the inability to know anything about death and what happens uh, upon death, which is something I think Star Trek has done – an okay job at uh dealing with in the past but it's about this sort of alienization alienating experience and you know the qu- getting your beliefs questioned and and uh i think there's a lot of good beats in here i don't think it really bashes religion if anything it, it sincerely demonstrates what happens when your faith gets 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 questioned and you're you're presented with with evidence that that really shakes you to your core i mean all of the guest actors on this show they're playing all the aliens I feel like they did a great job
1: well let's talk about that real quick um who do we got lined up here you got the main guy I'm sorry the 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 alien who was going to be willing himself to death uh, to accommodate his family as we'll find out I call him Mr eating disorder when he's right. sitting there Emanci- the
0: emancipated emaciated man yes yes. <laughs> Uh,
1: and then the, the head thanatologist, I thought, actually did a pretty decent job with his acting. And he seemed pretty familiar. So I looked him up to see what was under that makeup. And I did not write his name down because I'm a piece of shit. But that guy has some pretty cool roles under his belt. He's a Deep Throat from X-Files. Okay. And also more specific to Star Trek fame. Uh, that's the guy that played uh, Mark Twain, uh, Samuel Clemens in the TNG episode where they go back in time and data, gets his head cut off by the telepathic alien kidnappers. No.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Time's arrow. That was a season finale season premiere, uh, two parter.
1: So guy's um, got some p- chops under him. So Carrie gets pulled out of the poo pod and they put him in some sort of a locker room where he's got a roommate, the roommate being a uh, Mr. Eating Disorder. And that guy is going through some shit with his wife where it's clear he's starting to get cold feet about what's going on here, especially in light of uh, Harry appearing in the pod of enlightenment or emanationism or whatever. And then you've got the chief thanatologist, uh, Deep Throat, on the other side of literally a folding metal room divider that is maybe at the most six feet wide or, um, or, I don't know, deep. And as if it's not flimsy enough, there's like ventilation holes in each of the panels. So there is nothing separating these two people other than a novelty. And the head thanatologist is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, come here, alien guy. Like, uh, let's let's talk quiet because basically like you're super heresy to everything we've got going on here in our most holy place. And we don't want you spooking the rubes here. Um, so... <laughs> And never at any point he's like, let, let me give you your own room that's like locked down where you're not going to be able to talk your crazy heresy to uh, a guy who's about to crawl into this incineration pod.
0: I mean, I get that that's a, a obvious logical oversight if we were approaching this from a uh, what would you actually do in this situation perspective. but. I understand why they had to cut that corner because they they wanted to have the these different interactions between the different archetypes of personality in these kinds of situations. So I kind of gave it a, like a one of the suspension of disbelief passes. It's a big corner you know? to cut, man. I mean, I agree. It's an obvious oversight. Like, why the fuck did they have this guy circulating with anybody? Uh, it's right up there uh, too because the know. guy's
1: like the head fanatologist is like you must have more information and it to the episode's credit instead of it being like some sort of uh inquisition that like drags him off and and starts like torturing him or treats him like a monster like they're pretty receptive i mean for all you know this is first contact when these sort of alien creature on this uh that this species has had and everybody's just pretty cool with him like he's weird but no one's like finger pointing or deathly afraid of them.
0: They seem very fascinated by the simple fact that he's from where they would consider their afterlife. Sure. So they're like almost reverent with him to a degree. Sure. So they even, they're like, do you not have any
1: sort of scans of what the other thing is? And at that point, it's just like, you hear that womp, womp, womp. And it's like, oh, had only uh, stupid Chakotay not made the only comment I've ever seen in Star Trek history where it's, don't scan this stuff. They're they're just laying out all these, I don't know, lazy writer shortcuts of, uh, tin folding walls and not using a tricorder despite someone specifically asking for scans later on. And.
0: Agreed, there are some some shortcuts, but I think it serves the better drama of the story. So I think that's kind of where we diverge. I agree that they exist, but I think it's done in service of the story rather than to its detriment. Um, the next scene. This is a hard left turn in uh, Federation sciences for me. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene is probably uh, the scene that had me um, wanting to throw things at my television though, which is where the doctor explains that he was perfectly capable of, of reviving this, this body that had teleported in with uh, Chakotay and B'Elanna. And uh, he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it was no problem. It, it, she had brain cancer, so I just kind of uncancered the, this brain that I'd never seen from another dimension, you know, went and replicated, replicated uh, some some new brain cells, smacked them right in there, you know, of a brain I've never seen before, uh, and just used fo- uh, the standard post-mortem revival protocols. It was no problem at all. It was, it was basic. It was easy. I'm like – what the fuck yes what do you mean it was easy to do all of that like it was easy to just uncancer a dead body replicate brain matter of a brain you've never seen before and then apparently there's a protocol for reviving dead people <laughs> post-mortem revive revi- yeah, who, so who dies in the federation now How? how is anyone ever dead
1: the true backbone of the federation might has now been revealed with its uh United Federation of Planets necromancy.
0: Shit! Yes, absolutely. That's like, exactly what he describes.
1: The the Starfleet is the byproduct of the Reanimator, as we have now seen. Those red hey, shirts and everybody else. Je-
0: so, so Jeffrey, Com- <laughs> Jeffrey Combs Jeffrey Combs is in Star Trek. There's a connection. Way you and the Vorta from DS Nine. He's a huge player in that. Apparently, circulation of the Reanimator tech. That could, that could be canon.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this is a real kind of head-scratcher. Like, oh, okay, so you just had half your crew, you know, all these important people in your crew die. Uh, when Voyager got tossed, uh, you just overcame fucking brain cancer. Why, you know, again, as you just pointed out, why are there any dead people in the Federation?
0: Yeah, it's my, my wife said the exact same thing. Like, how the fuck she, she brought up um, Lieutenant Hottie, the... The Helmswoman, mm-hmm. like how how did she die? R.I.P. R.I.P. L- 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 Lieutenant Hottie, the Betasoid Helmswoman. Like what? How did how is she allowed to die? Like, apparently you can just revive people from death. There's a protocol for that, so we couldn't just activate the all holograms. Be like, all right, Necro Necro, up me a new first officer. You know, maybe you can combine some pieces. I don't know. Just make it work.
1: Starfleet street name, you know the Necrons just just a weird uh, a, a weird layout on that and um, Jamway kind of even seems to flinch at a little bit like oh how, how'd you get her back awake like, now an interesting point and probably you know would anybody would explain away this this conundrum we have here these poo pods they don't just teleport you off. they in essence kill you. And that'll come into play a little later on when Harry tries to, you know, hijack one to get home. Like these people fleshing out this moral dilemma, the the Mister Eating Disorder is going to run into. You're not dead, and they're just shuttling off, uh, you know, corpses. You're a, effectively electing suicide.
0: Correct. It's. Do we ever get a name for this race? I don't remember their name. What do you want to call them? Mm. I got something for you. Yeah. Kavorkian Ridge faces. Uh, I was going to say the buttheads because they got those <laughs> big robes on the front. How about we compromise? Kavorkian buttheads because they're euthanizing people. Sounds like a magic card. I like it. Okay. Uh the Kavorkian buttheads, they um we I guess let's let's roll back for a second. We didn't finish the the scene with the uh, with the revivification of our third alien player, the the lady. Um, they wake her up and the, and the scene that they have with her after they wake her up, I thought was actually pretty cleverly shot because they shoot it from her perspective and the way that the camera angle works. It's very alienating and panicky and it puts into perspective her sudden uh, loss of control and panic at being confronted by this very strange situation where she's in Voyager's sick bay when she was expecting to be in the afterlife. Looking for her brother. Right. Looking for a brother. And it's like immediately you you get more of the sense of how deeply ingrained this race's belief about what their afterlife was going to be is. It seems completely universal and accepted. And she is absolutely astonished to find that she is just in some ship in some part of some galaxy in some other reality and that her brother is not there. I, I thought it was I cool. I thought it was an interesting way to shoot the scene to emphasize her panic by shooting it in, from her perspective. First off, I don't believe that this
1: is a, really a, an alternate dimension. For starters, you know, I, I think they just threw that out there to say hey, anything's possible. I don't know where the fuck I'm at and, and whatever. There is a lot of weird camera work in this episode, and and I don't think any of it's really good. Like anything with Harry Kim over in the Cavorkian uh, Buttheadville is mm-hmm. shot like really tight with a little bit of a fisheye lens on it. it,
0: it and just, also I, a lot of Dutch angles.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just it felt very uh, – I don't know. It just got annoying to me And then the scene where they wake her up and like five people are crowd around her bio bed. I've never seen them bring anybody back like gang tackle style like that. And there's a lot of touching in this episode too. When she starts freaking out like Janeway and uh, the doctor – are definitely there putting the hands on her hard until they have to finally knock her out with the hypo spray. And uh, Harry Kim gets touched a lot as well. It, it was a very obvious attempt to try and build on that claustrophobia and the unnerving thing, which you you know say you appreciated in the scenes, but I, I thought it just came off as sloppy and lazy.
0: This is something I liked. Everything you just mentioned, I agree 100% that it's there. And I thought it added to the episode. I thought it built tension. I, I thought it conveyed this, the claustrophobic feeling and in the, in the, you know, the, the tightness of the shots and the weird angles. And it, it belayed this alienation, which I thought was really the, the, the key emotional underpinning that a lot of these characters were going through as they were experiencing what they were experiencing.
1: She woke up, you know, she's flipping out. Where's my brother? Is this really heaven? I mean, really, the only thing she's missing in this scene is a, a rosary to clutch and and a, and a God figure to invoke uh, his name. It, and really, it just starts hammering to me that this is just, again, a, a shitty religious episode theme to this whole thing. Uh, from here out, I'm going to need you to, to guide us a little bit because I was so checked out at this point that I actually <sighs> fell asleep. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> And when I woke back up, I couldn't find the shits to give to actually rewind to to wherever. So, they'll uh, <laughs> so, so take the helm here for a little bit.
0: I got, I got you. It's okay. Yeah. I got you, man. It's all right. I'm, I'm. The next scene after we get done with the resurrection situation is that we get more Dutch angles and dread uh, while we we hear about the the Kevorkian buttheads uh, euthanasia device. And the, and the doctor, the thanatologist is explaining, like, you know, you're you know you're incredibly important. You're the first person ever to come back from death. You need to you need to tell us more. And this is where he finally starts to figure out. And Harry Kim does. Oh, I need to not do that now. I think I've fucked this up. First contact, all that stuff we already mentioned. Um, but at this point, the thanatologist isn't having any of it. And he's like, no, well, guess what? You're you're going to you're going to be our guinea pig. Please use his
1: proper Star Trek name, Mark Twain.
0: Mark Twain. Mark Twain, theontologist, yes. Uh, He's he's trending towards kind of being angry and wanting to, to lab rat Harry Kim. So we cut back to Voyager and they have figured out, you know, the truth that they've already come to partially realize. And they're in the middle of this alien graveyard, basically. Is they they've got two hundred thousand identifiable alien remains in these asteroids around yeah, like them.
1: Like two hundred eighty thousand. So that does that mean that two hundred eighty thousand people have? I don't know. Maybe the planet's got a small population.
0: Well, they did mention that uh, over time they just uh, de- decompose into those spider webs. So that's actually part of their natural process. And so some of the spider webs they were walking through were just long decomposed bodies. I <laughs> so- I found that. Which, by the way, it resulted in Chakotay having this ashen look in his face while the yeah. doctor says, yes, while you were walking through those cobwebs, you were disturbing people's graves. Yeah.
1: The, the, so I, I had w- woken back up at this point. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, God, I didn't know I was walking through a graveyard. And it's like you, you totally fucking knew you were walking through a graveyard. Like,
0: what, what do you care? What would you think? They have a, a better talk with the, uh, the alien lady. Platera I believe they call her and um, she's a calmer now and Janeway explains I have no answers for you about what you thought this was going to be I can tell you where you are I can tell you what I know uh, and he, and she's trying real hard to emotionally connect with her like because she is freaking out she's like what you know like she's calmer now but she is still like emotionally wrecked by the revelation that she is not in the afterlife and she says, listen, I can't answer your questions about what really happens when you die. But I can tell you that I will do everything in my power to get you as many answers as I possibly can. And before they can take that scene much further, uh, they get uh, they get a little they get rocked a little bit, a little space turbulence, because apparently some bodies are 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 suddenly showing up in space fissures on Voyager. I felt like the scene that they had in the, in sick bay was pretty strong. Janeway, I thought was really good in this episode. Uh, she's she's really attempting to be a diplomat. She's attempting to be a scientist. She's doing all the things we expect, you know, a, a Starfleet captain to do, particularly one with a science background. And I have no complaints. I, I feel like they did her character justice in this one.
1: Yeah, strong performance by her. And now's a good time to point out we're missing a lot of cast members in this uh, episode does oh, yeah. tuvok get any screen time
0: tuvok's on screen but he has essentially minor expository dialogue same with tom paris no neelix at all neelix is not seen so that's two episodes out of the uh, seven we'll have watched so far that have no neelix whatsoever Taurus
1: is on deck um, she gets some pretty good uh, action and seska's around chakotay stupid ass is obviously there
0: yeah, I and mean, everybody else gets gets uh more more screen time obviously, Harry Kim. This is our first time really getting to know much about him. And considering how like bad he's been as a supporting character so far, I felt like his accidentally bumbling his way through a, a first contact, doing everything that he wasn't supposed to do uh, was was good. I I was expecting him to be really shitty in this and he wasn't. No, he came through. And that I find it suspect that, you know, the
1: as the episode progresses that there are more and more bodies being deposited on the asteroids around them and specifically on the ship like these situations in Star Trek like oh hey this major concern we have at the end wasn't immediately evident when we when we showed up. I could have also gone, you know, again drawing back to uh, I love transporter accidents. I thought it would be cool if like, some of these bodies are just, you know, half hanging out of the warp core and causing some real concerns for the, the
0: ship and the crew. You actually get an industrial accident in this one, though. I thought you'd be so happy. Maybe I
1: was sleeping through it. What happened?
0: Okay, so as the, the episode continues and we cut back to the oh, other oh, oh, planet dimension.
1: Before before we do, the the sense of dread, I think the one thoughtful takeaway point to the, the episode— Once they get a little bit past again, what I still feel is religion bashing, and you know, the the Starfleet science shitting all over their concept of whatever the afterlife is going to be. And you say that they try to gingerly dance around it, but Kim is pretty upfront with uh, Mister Anorexic about like uh, your family sucks, and you know, the culture using the poo pods uh suiciding themselves in it in an attempt to fast forward to the next emanation their next stage of life um you know the the good bit of actual personal horror i think here's when the the girl that ends up on voyager realizes like oh god we've been using these suicide pods thinking that you know we're just shortcutting to a good time and really how many people in our civilization have just cut their life short for some of the worst of reasons possible on what is essentially a
0: lie. And this is exactly what I liked about the episode. You said personal horror. I could not have described it better. All three of the alien characters we get to know ha, experience that personal horror in different ways. Mark Twain, the thanatologist uh, has his, you know, underpinnings of his society and his understanding of what he's devoted his life to put into question. The emancipated man um, has his societal obligations questioned after he realizes that what he has signed up to do so he's not a burden on his family may not be what he was thinking he was signing up for. And then you've got the the young lady who did die and transferred over who now has to confront the truth that it isn't what she expected it to be and nothing that she – it was – Trained her whole life to to believe was was true, ended up actually being true. So, I that's where I loved it. Like all of those scenes and all of the actors who were playing those guest roles nailed it in conveying that in a way that I felt was was pretty powerful. Given that we're dealing with mid nineties, you know, sci fi TV on the UPN. The the next scene actually that we we see in the sh- in the episode is is the emancipated guy talking to his wife, really. Having a breakdown of his belief, trying to get out of what he committed himself to. And then he has that talk with uh, with Harry where he explains he's basically being put on the ice floe because he was in an accident. and He's a burden uh, to, to his family to take care of. And that this wasn't necessarily his idea. It was sort of gently forced yeah, upon him. Yeah,
1: he you. got told to go do it. Uh, I believe he said that there's a family meeting. That was held about yeah. Was an intervention. what's going to happen yeah. and uh, they voted his ass off the island and now he's got to go sign up for, um, you know, self-elected suicide transport out. And, you know, he's complaining to his wife like, uh, I don't know if I feel good about this. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I want to be like, uh, look, you've been in the same room as I have. Can you not hear past the <laughs> the – the, the threefold divider between us and this alien guy who's very clearly saying that, you know, we're ending up in a space spider asteroid belt. You know, she and, I, you know, I think it's they're painting a picture there that she just wants this dude out of her life and she's willing to kind of ignore it and push it along. But when Harry comes back over and they start talking, you know, and, and Harry really starts laying out like. Yeah, you're getting fucked and your family's just basically pushing you into pointless suicide. Uh, the One of the biggest plot holes, I think, in the episode. These guys, you know, this is where you really see how sickly this guy is. He's like wrapping himself up in funerary shrouds.
0: Yeah, so he's he's got this, uh, I don't know, what you would a, call it. Giant tape. ugly scarf. <laughs> yes.
1: It's like a shitty... Mo- like. He's turning himself into
0: like a Tron mummy. <laughs> yeah, so let's hold on that for a second because that's near the end. Um, we've got a little bit more that happens. Uh, Voyager's turned into a body trap because apparently these subspace fissures are attractors of the warp core, so they got to bounce for a while. Um, and while they figure out what to do so they can go back and continue this, this plan to try and find Harry Kim, Kess. Steps in, has a little talk with the alien lady about what's going on with some real weird looking like pretzel shit in a martini glass. I don't know the fuck that was supposed to be. Probably some Neelix space rat shit. And you know, we get more background as to what these aliens believe the afterlife would be like. We get more breakdown from this lady conf- confronting you know, the know, can, can we make the
1: episode name uh, Space Rat Shit Martinis? <laughs>
0: Oh man, I don't want to put shit in the title. I, I know. But uh well, in my mind, that's
1: what this title is gonna be.
0: It's, it'll be a um, it'll be the title in our hearts. Yeah. Uh but uh so what's she
1: laying down to this? Because I think I might have fallen back asleep for this part too.
0: Yeah, you know, Kess is trying to basically buck her up a little bit, but she's not having any of it. And she starts to break down again about she's not supposed to be here. This is this is not what she wanted. She should you know, like she wants no part of being on Voyager or in this reality, since it represents, you know, her whole life being a lie. <laughs> you know, so uh, this happens to be right when they they problem solve an idea in how to deal with the getting Harry Kim back and sending this lady back to her own dimension, which is to recreate the transporter accident because they're attracting all of these subspace fissures. So we'll wait until one opens up. Going to bring another body through. And we'll do the swap. We'll send her back and we'll send her back with this uh, transponder that will allow her to give it to Harry Kim and say, "Okay, just hold on to this. And the next time one of these fissures opens, we'll grab you and we'll beat me out. And and the lady's all about it. She wants to get the fuck out. She gets warned. Jane was like, we don't know if this is actually going to work or not. But she's like, fine, don't care. Get me the fuck out of here.
1: Is she excited at all at the prospect that, hey, you know. I was supposed to go to heaven and all I got was the stupid cancer removed off the base stem of my brain.
0: Yeah, that's a little a lack of gratitude of the fact they basically decancered her and then zombie revified her into... Before existence. I go, can you
1: please thank your Federation necromancer for uh, <laughs> his service? For- Here, give him this gold coin to cover the cost of his, uh, you know, uh, ritual components.
0: So they they take her to a transporter room, once again manned by Seska with the device. And they're like, all right, Seska, make it happen. And Seska tries to pull the beam off. What should happen is that it all goes wrong. Uh, they can't get her through the subspace fissure because it closes. And so they try to pull her back, but Seska's all can't make it work. And they throw emergency power into it. And they finally pull the alien lady back. But... She's got all the cobwebs on her because what's happened? Space spiders got her. Space spiders got her. They nailed her with a critical hit. You know, she's, she, she failed that, that check. She, she dropped below negative 10 hit points. She's a goner. Uh, And, and apparently whatever, you know, raised dead, they scroll, they burned to get her the first time. (laughs) Doctor, Doctor does not have another uh, no true resurrection here. Who's our favorite
1: necromancer? Because that's going to be uh, EMH's new
0: name. They, they they ascertain she's dead. Now, this is where I kind of had to take a second because, of course, Stevie was like, wait a second. If she's, she's dead again, why can't they just do the same damn thing they did the first time to wake her back up? Like, she seems less dead this time. She's yeah. only got a little bit of spider web on her. Like what? Why do we? Why is she? Why is she dead now?
1: Two two choices here. Uh, explanation number one is that uh, the necromantic resurrection ability is a, uh, a once a day cooldown, and that, uh, that could be tapped himself. And two is that uh, Seska is intentionally botching these transporters. She's like fucking the nurse Jackie of the transporter room. <laughs> yeah, she's. <laughs> She's just fucking sabotaging and, and and fucking people up.
0: I mean she doesn't want to get Harry Kim back, right? It's part of this it's part of the the Maquis or actually good terrorist headcanon. Or she's just a, a so uh like, serial to- killer. Yeah, like no, not I'm gonna fuck this up too. Can't get that Harry Kim back. We need one less bridge officer loyal to Gene Way. Yeah. But uh we get our industrial accident at long last for you there, Peter, and, and we've got a dead alien. And so they're out of options as what to do. But fortunately for everybody, Harry Kim, he's got a plan. And his plan is to convince the emaciated alien to say, fuck all this killing myself shit. And let Harry Kim basically take his place. So the idea here is that there's this body, you know, encompassing shroud. Tron mummy. That makes you look like your, your was it Tron mummy? Tron mummy. Tron mummy, yeah. Uh, Harry Kim convinces the emaciated man to go fuck off into the mountains where he's got some friends and not die. And uh, instead, Harry Kim Not commit
1: suicide.
0: Right. And Harry Kim will wrap himself in the Tron mummy stuff and take his place because the idea is that Harry's like, well, it's going to get me back to my dimension. It'll also kill me, but, you know, I have a necromancer back on my ship I all you know they'll they'll search my belongings they're gonna find that that seventh level resurrection scroll and you know he's got he's got use magic item he's gonna be able to puss that thing out and he's gonna be able to make it work for me.
1: It's very presumptuous of Harry to think that you know again they're dealing with some sort of uh, teleporting shard thing that is not going to be a a time travel device as well and that he's not going to either show it before Voyager even arrived or months after voyager is left for a slow boring lonely death on space spider asteroid uh so let me let me just start throwing the heaviest of punches uh and, and the the biggest of rocks through the plot holes here first of all the the alien dude he's talking while he's wrapping himself up as a tron mummy he's like uh oh you know these uh This funeral shroud, this is a big deal. You know, this is my father's father. And I remember, you know, when my dad put it on, he fully believed in all this stuff. And If it's a one-way trip to space spider
0: asteroid, how are they getting these these funerary shrouds back? Well, when Harry Kim shows up in uh, sickbay, he appears to be naked. So I would think that you don't leave with your clothes out of the poop pod. Yeah, That's my but only when explanation.
1: They, when when
0: that girl shows up in Sick Bay and they get her out of the spider
1: webbing, she's she's not
0: naked. Well, we see her after she's been revified, but before she's uh, made conscience. So they could have easily put her in clothes. I'm not buying it, but but we'll we'll continue.
1: And then also, so like when Harry does finally like start, you know, con this dude into like, hey, don't commit suicide, just go <laughs> run up in the mountains and be happy and free. Like, the first dude is, like, so incredibly thin. And then doughy Harry Kim jumps in there. He's, like, obviously <laughs> twice the fucking size. This guy's wife doesn't catch on at all. Like, the dude doesn't sound like her husband at all. And is, like, twice as big and not limping around. Um, but she's, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> she's just so excited to get this motherfucker out of here. She's, like, I don't care. It could be very clearly a grizzly bear half wrapped up in this bandage. And I'd still... <laughs> As long as he can fit in the poo pod and I can wash my hands of his ass, we're good to go. And she even hits the
0: button to do the murder. <laughs> like yeah. She's like, "All right, I'm done. This is mm-hmm. a free lady. Time to hit yeah. the club." <laughs> Someone installed Tinder
1: on my phone. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm tired of that motherfucker. Uh,
0: of course, it all conveniently works out in the end. Harry Harry's body winds up on the ship, and the doctor, uh, sure enough, has got his his global cooldown on his battle res. See, I'm throwing in some new nerd reference there. Has has expired and he's able to uh, quickly revify uh, Harry Kim and all is well, you know, aside from this alien planet that possibly is another dimension that may have just had all of its preconceptions about death completely shattered. (laughs) But aside from that distinct possibility, everything's okay now! Yay! Yeah, the
1: final scene is Janeway uh, finding uh, Kim in the mess hall, and Kim's like, uh, "Hey, I'm I'm good to go for work tomorrow." And she's like, "No, you're off for two days because you know we rush through life too quick." And she starts waxing poetic, and really, she's like, "I want you to to live in the moment and really savor the experience." And I'm thinking, I'm like, the experience here, I think, just boils down basically to like chakotay's ineptitude and failure that just caused this entire fiasco in the first part and uh she just wants uh harry to to dwell on on that i think
0: she to dwell think about who put you in this position harry think if think about who your loyalties are. Really if only to. you had
1: scanned those bodies harry you could have potentially, you know, undid a lot of the damage that you just caused by completely disagree. I wonder if he filed all that shit in his report, uh, his, his gross um, disregard of the prime directive. And of course there is the, you know, throwaway line in here like, oh, well, you know, we did read that there's some weird radiation that comes off these people and flies off into the
0: ring around this planet. And, you know, maybe that's heaven after all. They specifically say like it's neural energy and there's stuff going on they don't understand. And it all, all leads to the, the overall theme that they've been pointing out, especially the Federation people. Like we don't actually know what happens after death. There's a lot that we don't know. Uh, and so maybe there is something going on here at this specific place with this specific race that is not able to be understood by the way we traditionally understand things. And they kind of leave it there. We're in the
1: Federation. We don't really know what happens after death. We certainly don't have any necromancers in our employ, and we are absolutely not able to bring anyone back from death. So that's, <laughs> that's us. Nothing to see here. We're just normal spacefaring people who are absolutely not uh, playing God and tinkering with death like
0: a, like a plaything. <laughs> the Federation doesn't understand what happens after death because nobody fucking dies. <laughs> yeah. That's the episode. Uh, I I agree with you that there are shortcuts. I agree with you that there's a point or two where you're like, really? I agree the whole the doctor can revify you is kind of a real fucking stretch. But out of all the technology
1: stuff that they've really kind of pulled out of their asses, I mean, the the post-mortem resuscitation technique was the biggest head scratcher that I think I've seen out of Voyager yet. I can't forgive the number of built-in rub it in your face moments, like Chicote. Don't don't scan these bodies, and the guy saying, you know, where's the scan bodies, and some of the other stuff here. I get you like the episode. I can respect the personal horror angle of you know these three different viewpoints, each dealing with a personal crisis in a different way. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of. Um, What's that? Oh, it was the season finale out of TNG uh, for season one, Neutral Zone, where they find the three people in the cryopods. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like that. It's it's cool that they're using different viewpoints. I thought all the camera work was annoying and uh, and hokey. You know. Instead, let me let me pitch you an episode where they beam onto an asteroid and uh, they get attacked by space spiders. There's some really cool phaser fights. A couple red shirts die. Uh, You can still fit in some Federation necromancy. uh, And at the end of the day, you know, they find the treasure chest full of uh, new periodic table element and uh, barely escape. Give me that dungeon crawl. That's what I want.
0: (laughs) Uh, Not saying that wouldn't have been a compelling episode. (laughs) Um, Not saying that. But I I, I feel like uh, you can really forgive some of the sins, even the egregious ones, in service to what I thought was three really clutch performances from guest actors, an interesting idea delivered with a defter hand than I thought they would manage, and uh, good good Janeway stuff too, which I'm always hungry for. Is it the best episode? No, uh, but is it is it a flawed episode? Yes, but I think it's it's good. I I was entertained and and I enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed thinking about it while I was watching it, and you know, considering what we've seen so far, I'd clearly call it the second best one we've seen. No way in hell. Yeah. I would. Say, I mean, that's not a high bar to clear, because aside from Eye of the Needle, what would you say is the second best? I mean, Parallax?
1: Flip back here.
0: Uh, I mean, like, what else is there? Everything else is just either the premiere, which just fucked itself into the dirt, or... Absolute garbage, one way or another. I guess Parallax would probably be...
1: Certainly not the Candy Corn tragedy. Phage would be the second best.
0: Uh, Hmm. I would say that this episode had more... I liked this episode more than Phage. This episode
1: could have plugged into any other TV show just as well. It, It was okay TV, and it was, in my opinion not star trek and and i'm i'm watching these looking for star trek stuff like this you know things that expand beyond the confines of a story about a spaceship and people on the spaceship push that into like second and third seasons you know you've got so much stuff to focus on trying and especially in you know 90s tv where well i guess it wasn't quite the sink or swim situation that we're dealing with modern tv but they just stray so far away from the base subject material, and I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't, I would not continue watching this series. I don't think if I was coming into it fresh, and that's probably why I didn't do it when the first time it came out.
0: I get. Let me ask you this question in light of what you just said. You say this episode could have fit on any other television show. What show would you see this on? Like, think I, I, I struggle to consider a better. Place for this to go, but Star Trek.
1: Anything with a supernatural element to it, uh, or magic, which is, you know, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't feel that ah, Star Trek was the was the proper
0: place for this story. I feel it is the only proper place, but we can agree to disagree, Peter. I'm, I'm invigorated that we we actually had a difference of opinion. Mm. That's good. We well, need that.
1: I'll tell you what I need is a good episode because at this point it's been two duds in my book. Um so what's what's coming up next here?
0: Next episode is Prime Factors, uh which is an episode I have a stronger memory of because I believe I watched it, you know, some years ago but but more recently. I'm not sure if it's necessarily uh, going to meet your qualifications for good, but I think it is definitely much more a Voyager episode in, in terms of dealing with their specific predicament rather than maybe a general Star Trek episode. And uh, it definitely deals with the Prime Directive, but not in the way you think. Hmm. Well, uh, again, you know, check out the brand new um,
1: Facebook group where you
0: can go yeah and- just check us out uh, if, if you go to the video please facebook page um uh, there are multiple links uh pointing you towards the group again we'll be happy to add you to that um give us a like on facebook of course always follow subscribe give us reviews on whatever service you like to consume quality podcasts on and uh we will always uh Happily take any emails yeah. or messages you send us, email us at vjerplease at gmail.com. Or if you want to um, jump on the next
1: group and, and tell Joe that he was wrong and this was a piece of garbage episode and that I was right, uh, we would love to see that in public. So uh, humiliate Absolutely,
0: uh, Absolutely. I I don't argue with people on the internet, so I'm, I'm definitely a punching <laughs> bag. when really We'll pull punches for our
1: fans. Uh, of course. In closing, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a closer examination of, uh, Mr. Eating Disorder and his wife, who was quick and thankful to push the button on what was very clearly <laughs> not her husband in the poo pod. <laughs> Treat people in your debt like family. Exploit them. Uh, <laughs> rule of acquisition, <laughs> one, one, one.
0: Oh, that's, uh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that, on that note, uh, this has been Vijor, please, a hateful voyage with the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. And we will see you guys next week. Peace.